Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, we're going in a completely different direction today, and we're doing something that we hope to do at least once a month. Today I'm going to be answering your questions, all right? And these are questions that you've sent in and asked. Many of them I've seen over and over again. I just wanted to take some time out to answer your questions. And in the future, we're working it out where we'll be able to actually include your voice asking the questions, all right? I'm going to try to get through seven questions today. And they range from some serious political questions about the presidential campaign to some really simple questions like, what's my favorite movie? Let's dig in. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The, the, the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. Okay, so we're going to go super serious with this first question. The first question is, Marvel or DC? <laughs> so on some levels, that question is a serious question, depending on where you come down. And on another level, the question is not serious at all. I do have really strong feelings about this, and I want to apologize in advance if this offends any of you. But I'm definitely a Marvel guy, and I've made um, my house a Marvel house and we're all huge Marvel fans. With that said, I do love some DC characters. I do love some DC movies. I'm a huge fan of all the Christian Bale Batman movies. And I've actually uh, gotten to know several people who are DC characters on television, on WB, and in some movies. But I'm a huge Marvel guy. I, I grew up as a little boy, huge fr- a huge fan of the Hulk, a uh, huge fan of Spider-Man, I did like Superman growing up, but I was a Hulk guy all the way through. I'm 39, so when I grew up, you know, the Hulk had a, an actual live-action television show uh, where the Hulk was played by Lou Ferrigno, and I just thought it was awesome. Like, there was nothing better in my world than that. But I'm a huge Marvel person. I'm a huge Avengers person. Uh, you'll see on the North Star, if you're a member of the North Star, we, we also have critiques of how all of these comics and movies and stuff are played out. Of course, I loved Black Panther, and I think, you know, to me, it's in probably my top three or top five, at least, of all comic book movies altogether. But I am definitely a Marvel person. Uh, I'm a huge Stan Lee fan, and not to get too woke or, or, or wonky about it, but Stan Lee was super progressive or at least tried to be super progressive on issues of race and racism and uh, even made statements about race and racism in the industry in comic books and in society he was talking about that stuff in the 60s and 70s long before anybody else was doesn't mean there aren't legitimate critiques like there are tons of legitimate critiques but I'm definitely a Marvel person alright next question the, the, the breakdown. 
Okay, on this next question, we actually are going to get a little more serious than Marvel or DC. Although, again, that is a pretty serious question. We're going to jump right into politics. And this question asks, how do I justify criticizing Joe Biden when he may be the candidate who runs against Donald Trump? And so, first and foremost, I, I do have very strong views on Joe Biden. Now, there are over 20 presidential candidates or 20 Democratic candidates for president, rather. And I like a lot of them. I know many of them personally. I, I know Julian Castro personally. I know Cory Booker personally. I've gotten to know Elizabeth Warren personally over the past few months. Of course, I know Bernie Sanders personally. Uh, and I have strong feelings about them. I know Mayor Pete personally. I knew Mayor Pete before he announced that he was running. And each candidate has their own set of views and their own personal history. But right now, uh, we are months before the first debate, and we are over really about a year away before the Democratic nominee is chosen. And it's during this period of time that we should all, not just me, we should all challenge all of the candidates, including Bernie Sanders. And, you know, I'll say a little bit about my support of Bernie, and I want to qualify that. I decided overtly to announce who I support it, because here's what I think happens with most journalists. They do support somebody, and they allow who they support and who they don't support to come out in their journalism in some very peculiar, destructive ways. They just never announce to you who it is they're supporting. Well, I wear my heart on my sleeve, my feelings on my sleeve. I made a decision a long time ago that I would never use this podcast to promote Bernie Sanders' nomination. This would not be a place where we would campaign for Bernie Sanders, but that because I wear my feelings about all issues openly, honestly, on my sleeve, out in the open, you would always know where I was coming from. So if I am attacking a candidate or supporting a candidate, you, you wouldn't just think, oh, he's being completely honest here and he has no political motive, which is what you get from so many journalists who may have really strong feelings about a candidate but they never actually say it out loud. And so their reporting reflects their strong feelings. The segments and the work they do, you know, really reflects those strong feelings, but they never say it out loud. And, and so you're only left to assume that they are being completely honest and independent when they aren't. And so I am very biased. I have very strong feelings about all of the candidates, good, bad, and ugly. Now, we should challenge all of the candidates during the primaries. I'm not saying that we should tear them down uh, with ugly personal attacks. I'm against that completely in life, not just in politics. Like, let's have no personal attacks. But Joe Biden, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you know this. I am a lifelong advocate for justice reform. One of my first jobs out of college was working in jails and prisons for years as a teacher. I traveled to youth detention centers and jails and prisons and taught full-time for years on end, and this is in the early 2000s. I advocated for criminal justice reform in the 90s when I was student government president at, at Morehouse. And so I've been fighting against mass incarceration and police brutality literally my entire adult life. This is my life's work. And Joe Biden, and this is not a personal attack, Joe Biden is the modern architect of mass incarceration. He openly admits this. He 
bragged about it for years on end, actually fought for the label. He not only crafted the primary bills that built the modern systems of mass incarceration, the bills were named after him, and after they were passed and became law, he literally gave speeches saying, give me credit for this. I, I fought for this. These are my laws. And a lot of people say, well, hey, you know, those were just federal laws. In those laws, Joe Biden wrote and fought for, for what I'm about to tell you, and I, I could play the audio clips at a later time, that if any state wanted any federal money for anything to do with justice, jails, prison, police, they had to agree to his new mandatory minimums to, for people to serve 85% to 100% of their time. And so the majority of states all over the country need that federal support. So they agreed to his federal laws and made them their state laws. So Joe Biden wrote the laws, fought for them, campaigned for them. And after they were passed and became law, argued over and over and over again in speeches and in press conferences that he wanted more credit for being the modern architect of mass incarceration. And 99 percent of those laws are still in effect today. Not hundreds of thousands, not even single millions, but tens of millions of people have been impacted by those laws. So it would be weird for anybody to assume that me, Sean King, who fights for justice reform every day, all day, for a living, for a hobby, it's what I think about, dream about, it's my life's work, that I would have, you think it's weird, that I would have a beef with the modern architect of mass incarceration. I have a beef, I do. I have a beef with Joe Biden about that. I have a a beef about his treatment of Anita Hill. I have a beef, as Elizabeth Warren has, her entire career with what Joe Biden has done with bankruptcy laws, loan laws, credit card laws. Literally, she and Joe Biden have been in constant arguments since the 90s and early 2000s over this. And so I have a beef with him on that. I have a beef with many of the things that he said in the 70s and 80s about integration and segregation, uh, you know, like I have serious problems with Joe Biden. And if I had to rank my personal top 10 favorite candidates, he would not crack the top 10. And I feel strongly about it. I think that there are many candidates who could beat Donald Trump, and I would prefer it not to be Joe Biden. Not because um, I don't want a Democrat to win. I absolutely want Donald Trump to lose And I would love for many of these candidates to beat Donald Trump. And I would prefer Joe Biden over Donald Trump every day, all day. But I would literally prefer 10 other candidates ahead of him. I can't speak about some of the lesser known candidates because I haven't really evaluated their record, their history. Out of the 20 people who are running, Joe Biden would nearly be at the very bottom of the top 20. I know he's not in my top 10. And I could rattle the names off, you know, off the top of my head. But I believe many of those candidates in the top 10 could beat Trump. And I would rather them beat Trump than Biden beat Trump. And so if we can't compete in the primaries and argue about voting histories and records, what are we doing? Again, I'm not going to talk about, you know, there are many articles that talk about Joe Biden and plastic surgery. Like, I'm not interested in that. I'm not talking about it. It's, it's foolish. I don't know if the man's had plastic surgery or not. I just know that if he's had it or hasn't had it, that doesn't impact my vote. 
for any of the candidates. I'm not worried about that. That's not major. But for me, your votes are major. That matters to me. I hear people talk about um, Joe Biden's gaffes. I have some problems with what he says in these gaffes. I have a, I do have a problem that he is gaff prone. That's not my major beef with Joe Biden. It's about policy. It's about history. It's about who he has been consistently over the long view of his life. It's not whether or not I think he's a good person or a bad person. That's too simplistic. It's about voting records and stances and what somebody really believes in. All right, let's look at the next question. The breakdown. Okay, the next question, I guess we're going to go from not serious to serious back to not serious. Again, this I mean, you could say this is a serious question. Am I still a vegan? The answer, I know this is going to disappoint some people. I guess there, it would disappoint people no matter what I said. No, I'm not still a vegan. I did try, and I'll, I'll defend my case for a little bit. Um, as much as we can afford and as much as we are able, we try to eat local, uh, which is good for the environment. We try to eat organic, which is not just good for us, but is also good for the environment. Um, we try to eat, uh, if we eat meat products, we do try to find meat products not are, that are organic and local, but also uh, ethically raised and treated. And all of those things sound very privileged, I know. So we try to do those things whenever we can. But it was extremely difficult, we found, to be vegan in our house. There are seven of us. When the whole family is not vegan, it's hard to be one vegan in a house full of people who aren't vegans. And even two or three of us were trying it and we found it. It's hard to be vegan in a non-vegan society. And it's definitely hard to be a vegan in a non-vegan household. And uh, some of it was we just hadn't conditioned our whole family to be able to do it. So I did fail at being a vegan. And um, I, I do feel some kind of way about it. I'm also very interested in uh, the, the humane ethical treatment of animals, but I am not currently a vegan. We do have one vegetarian left in our house, and she is back and forth between being a vegan and a vegetarian, but we have one left, and the rest of us are absolutely still eating meat. I'm sorry. <laughs> the breakdown. This next question is one I get when I travel and speak on the road, particularly when I'm speaking a lot about justice reform and justice issues. Am I really against the death penalty in all cases? And then a lot of people will ask emotional questions. If it was my mother, my daughter, my wife, my son that was killed, would I still be against the death penalty? And when you throw in that personal piece that's very difficult. And part of why I have a view now, nobody in my family has been murdered, but I have worked with murder victims for most of my adult life as an advocate. And it is difficult to think through the philosophy of the death penalty when you have just suffered some type of violence in your family. And when you are suffering through that violence and through the grief of it, that's a very difficult time to make a decision about how you view justice, justice reform, the death penalty, how you view court cases through the fog of war in some ways when your family is dealing with that. 
it's important for you to kind of develop your philosophy in a place where you're able to think clearly without the emotion of what if someone killed my most treasured loved one? I'm against the death penalty for many, many reasons, and we've talked just a little bit about that on this podcast. But the death penalty primarily targets, first and foremost, people of color and primarily targets poor people. You will rarely, rarely see a wealthy person given the death penalty. Even in states where it is doled out regularly, you will rarely see a person of means given the death penalty. And that's a problem because wealthy people do kill people. They just never get the death penalty for it. It is rare and disproportionate to murder rates, crime rates, and the percentage of people of color to the population relative to the population. People of color, particularly black people, particularly black men, are given the death penalty at a wildly disproportionate rate. And so what you what you end up having is the reality in America that some people of privilege, be it financial privilege or racial privilege, avoid the death penalty at wildly disproportionate rates. And that's a problem for me. But it goes deeper than that for me. Um, we see regularly in the United States men, again, almost always black men, but we see men of all backgrounds and sometimes women. And I've actually met a few of these women, including this past year at, at the great Innocence Network event in Atlanta that I got to speak at, that we regularly see people who are exonerated, often people who were on death row for crimes they did not commit. Please remember that Donald Trump called for the execution of five preteen and teenage boys called the Central Park Five who were wrongly accused, wrongly charged and wrongly convicted for a brutal rape and assault that they did not commit. And, um, you know, that's despicable. And they call for the death penalty for these young boys. Many of those men now are my friends and brothers. And imagine had they been executed. I mean, literally Donald Trump spent his own money to take out ads calling for their execution. They weren't even guilty. And so the death penalty is used against poor people, against people of color, but particularly poor black boys and men in a way that's heinous. Literally the entire developed world has done away with the death penalty. It's barbaric. It's inhumane. I'm also against the death penalty because people do change. And we've seen this often of people who have been executed. And you have the families of the victims literally saying, I don't want you to execute this person. This person is different. This person, you know, sought out mercy and we give this person mercy and the state would proceed to execute them anyway. And that's heinous. And what we find is that our justice system regularly just ignores the wishes of victims in many of these cases who are regularly saying, no, I don't want the death penalty. Not at all. And often I'm not I'm not calling for the death penalty to be quicker. But what we see is that we see people on death row for 10, 20 years and they are an altogether different person at that point in time. And if someone has, has changed, how horrible is it to just kill them anyway? And, and lastly, but I have 10 reasons, but I'll give one more. It's not a deterrent to crime. Study after study after study shows the death penalty is absolutely not a deterrent to crime. 
And we know that in many ways, there are states that don't have the death penalty, still have crime. States that do have the death penalty still have the same crime rates. The death penalty has never deterred people from crime. When you do actually commit a crime, you are rarely thinking about the consequences. That's just how it goes. The break, the, the, the breakdown. All right. This is another kind of non-serious question. The question is about the podcast itself. The question is, will I ever have guests on the breakdown on this podcast? And the answer to that is yes. In our podcast studio, where I'm broadcasting from right now, it is actually built to have guests. But we just wanted to get our feet under us. We just wanted to get our schedule together. Um, We will do special episodes where I interview special guests. And we actually have a, a really cool show that we're building that is all about guest as well. And so, yes, we will have guests on this podcast. The Breakdown. All right, this next question is a question that I, I get from time to time, and it's normally spam or people who just greatly misunderstand my views. But it's important for me to answer it out loud. Do I hate police officers? Do I hate police officers? No. That's my answer. My answer is no. I do not hate all police officers or I, I generally don't hate people, period. And that's just a, a, a life ethic, a, a value that I have to try hard not to allow myself to get into the position where I'm hating people or a per, even a particular person, but certainly not hating an entire group of people. And I try to keep myself from getting to that. Do police officers often bother me a great deal? Of course they do. But I try to even then focus on corrupt police officers or brutal police officers. I think the entire system is ugly. Do I have major problems with the criminal justice system? Absolutely. You'll hear me say on this podcast, or if you ever hear me when I'm traveling and speaking, say what I'm about to say all the time. I don't think the criminal justice system is broken at all. It's not broken. It's It's functioning exactly the way the people who designed and built it intended it to function. You know, it's not broken. To say it is broken would be to say it was built really well and it has somehow just slightly deviated just in a little bit away from the way it was built. No, this system was built this way. It was designed this way and it's horribly unjust. And so, no, I don't hate police officers. I don't hate all police officers. And I try not to even hate some police officers. Am I irate and angry at some of them, like Officer Daniel Pantaleo, who murdered Eric Garner? I've come to know Eric's family. I feel very strongly about this man. He was brutal before he killed Eric Garner. He had been sued multiple times. And so, yes, I have a problem with many of these particular people, and I have a problem with the people who defend and protect them. Because we often hear this argument that, hey, don't hate all cops. There are just a few bad apples. Now, I think there are far more than just a few bad apples, but let me address that. If there are just a few bad apples, and let's just play that argument, you know, for a moment. If there are just a few bad apples, let's hold them accountable. Okay, let's agree on that. Democrat and Republican, conservative and liberal, you know, across the aisle, across the spectrum, across races and groups. If we're going to agree on this, let's agree there are a few bad apples. And then, damn it, let's hold all of the bad apples accountable. Let's make sure that they are given stiff penalties for jail time. Let's make sure that they are fired and can never be police officers again. If you believe that, that there are just a few bad apples, then join me 
in helping hold those few bad apples accountable. And when I say that, people disappear and become ghosts because they say, hey, they're just a few bad apples and they're nowhere to be found when we want to hold those few bad apples accountable. All right, our final question, and we're back to something that's a little light uh, in terms of the tone and seriousness of the question. Uh, Some people ask me, what's my favorite movie? And I, I get a lot of versions of that question, like, can I recommend this type of movie or that type of movie? So I am a huge Spike Lee fan, uh, and to, to put all my cards on the table, I'm a graduate of Morehouse College, and Spike Lee is a graduate of Morehouse College, and we support each other. Um, I've always been a huge fan and supportive of Spike. So a lot of Spike Lee's best movies crack my top 10 in terms of my favorite movies. I would say uh, that h- here are three of my favorite movies. Um Two of them are probably Spike Lee movies. I'm a huge fan of the movie Malcolm X. And now the family actually has some criticisms of the movie, just as some parts of the story that they thought were left out. But I think the movie is is beautiful. It was a very difficult story to tell, basically from Malcolm's birth to death. And uh, I, I love it for a lot of reasons. Like I'm a huge Denzel Washington fan, but most of all, I'm a huge Malcolm X fan and supporter I've gotten to know his family personally across the years as well. And uh, and so the movie just had a huge impact on me and my life. It came out when I was a young teenager, and it just had a huge impact on me. So, of course, the movie X about Malcolm X by Spike Lee was a huge movie for me. Also, I love Spike's movie. Now, this is rated R for any of you who have children who may be listening. It's not something my, <laughs> my dear mother and uh, I'm recording this right after Mother's Day, my dear mother took me to see Mo Better Blues when I was, <laughs> I think, in middle school. And uh, she did not know that it was rated R and probably, like, pushed the NC-17 uh, label. But uh, Mo Better Blues was a huge movie for me. I played the trumpet when I was a kid and, and all the way through high school. And the movie is about a trumpet player and the struggles he has in life. Again, it's another Denzel and Spike Lee collaboration. Um, but I love the movie. It's artistic. It's wonderful. The music is great. Terrence Blanchard, who does the trumpet in the movie, is wonderful. He still is, always has been. Um, Boys in the Hood is is up there on that list. If you come to uh, my house and go to the movie room, we have on the wall uh, a poster, movie poster from X. Uh, we also have the Boys in the Hood movie poster. And I have some fun movies that are there in my in my top list as well, like uh, we love the Goonies in our house. I've taught my kids. <laughs> my kids know all the 80s things that came out that were great in the 80s. But I love the Goonies. Uh, one of the foreign films that I love is beautiful and painful is the movie Life is Beautiful. And uh, it's just a powerful story about the pain of the Holocaust and what it took to survive. But uh, I think X is still on the top of my list. Break it down. The break, the break, break. Hey, I actually enjoyed answering all of your questions and I really enjoyed just being able to kind of freestyle and dig in some answers to that. Thank you all for making it all the way through this episode of The Breakdown. And if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, we'll be right back here every single weekday breaking down important news stories and issues. And we'd love for you to subscribe on your favorite podcast apps like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Of course, we want you to share this podcast with your friends and family. 
Our next big goal is to get to 100,000 subscribers. And we're not going to get there without you. Have you left a review yet? Please leave a review. Uh, on Apple Podcasts, we have over 5,000 five-star reviews. Thank you for that. We're aiming for 10,000 five-star reviews. But we want to hear from you. So post your, your review, your best review, when you get some time. Of course, thank you to the nearly 30,000 founding members of the North Star whose generosity even makes this podcast possible. We love you all and appreciate you so very much. And if you love this podcast and you want to support our work or you want to see the show notes and transcripts for each episode, we'd love it if you'd consider becoming a founding member of our community. And you can do that today at thenorthstar.com. There we not only have our podcast, but we have hundreds of original articles and stories and commentaries from some of the leading scholars and thinkers and journalists in the world. Lastly, a shout out to our podcasting director and senior producer, Willis, for his hard work on this and every episode. Take care, everybody.